Hello and welcome to the second series of the International Therapist podcast. Following the success of our virtual congress series, I am excited to be bringing you a number of interesting conversations with previous FHT Excellence Award winners. The Celebrating Excellence series is all about inspiring our listeners through the incredible stories of those who have been recognised for their hard work in the industry. Here at the FHT, a huge highlight of our year is celebrating our members' work and dedication through the FHT Awards. There have been some truly amazing accomplishments and I am thrilled to be speaking to just a few of our winners in these episodes. The shortlist for this year's awards will be live in August, so keep an eye out at fht.org.uk slash awards. And when the time comes, don't forget to show some support for this year's finalists by keeping an eye out on our social media pages throughout the week of Monday the 30th of November, when we will be announcing our winners. I'm your host, Leanne Shiel, Deputy Editor of International Therapist magazine, and today I'll be having a conversation with the winner of 2014 FHT Excellence in Practice Award and the 2019 Tutor of the Year Award, Dr Carol Samuel. Carol was presented the award for her work in the field of research. As part of her PhD, Carol carried out research into the effects of reflexology on acute pain and has had work published in complementary therapies in clinical practice. Carol has been recognised by her peers and the public alike, being published in both the national and the international press and in peer-reviewed journals. She is also an invited speaker at conferences worldwide in both the medical and the complementary therapy fields and is now a published author with her first book, The Tenacious Student. Carol's aim has always been to try and bridge the gap between orthodox medical practices and complementary therapy through science, clinical reasoning and understanding in pain management. She also offers workshops online and face-to-face to reach as many practitioners as possible. Her mantra is, journeys begin with the vision of who we are and where we see ourselves. We have one life, make it count. So welcome to the podcast, Carol. Um, We're thrilled to have you here and I'm really um, interested to find out a bit more about um, reflexology and pain management and kind of your research behind that. Um, I wondered if you could start me off with um, just telling me a little bit about your journey into reflexology and um, to get to where you are now, really. Okay, Um, so I I actually started reflexology as um, CPD. So I was lecturing at um, college, uh, locally, Fairham College, actually. uh, And uh, as part of your uh, ongoing progress obviously CPD is important so uh, I was offered initially uh, beauty therapy and that's really not my uh, skin so I decided uh, that perhaps I'd try something else and they offered me reflexology and Indian head massage and I did them both and that's where it really started uh, the reflexology journey it was one of the last things that I did um, and it's just gone on from there. Oh, and so the course was, um, was it like a, a fairly low level course or was it that the full? full no, work? it was, it was a level three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, at Fairham College. So it yeah. was local. Um, 
and I went on after that to do um, oh gosh many different uh, additional CPD courses in reflexology so I did uh, five elements in meridian therapy I did vertical reflex therapy um, I've done uh, Taiwanese reflexology advanced reflexology techniques um, and the nerve reflexology diploma was probably the biggest one um, because it's so in-depth and that um, I did that actually once I'd already started university um, uh, as part of my not as part of my PhD but really to enhance my understanding of neuroanatomy and physiology yeah. um, I didn't have a choice. I had to do neuroanatomy and physiology. If you're if you're working in pain, obviously you need to fully understand it. So um, yeah, it was important I did it, and I thought the nerve reflexology training would help me in that regard, and it did immensely. And now um, here, what, what are we? Oh, 13, 14 years later, I'm now the only UK tutor of the nerve reflexology diploma. So oh my gosh, yeah. yeah something yeah huge to be celebrated and um when it comes to pain management and that that kind of thing did you kind of always know how much of a positive effect reflexology can have on pain or it, is it kind of dependent on each person yeah it's very much an indi individualistic approach uh, um, and pain generally is because it can be so subjective i mean that there's lots and lots of different things that are in, that is involved in the whole uh, pain sphere if you like you know you have to look not just at the physical attributes of that person's pain but you also have to look at their psychological state their social state their emotional uh things you know the work-life balance everything you know whether they've got a lot of stress in their life so it's all of those things that make up the pain picture and when you bring all that together then you're in a better place to help and support you know it's not a case of um come in somebody's got a low back pain oh i'll do the reflexes for the spinal hip area there's, it's there's more to it than that you know you, you have to look at everything and also you have to be prepared to signpost you know, you, you can't necessarily do it all. Um, pain is a very complex phenomenon and people come in with lots of baggage with their pain. Um, and sometimes what you want them to do is just to, uh, you know, may, maybe perhaps they've, they've got a bad back, they've got a bad shoulder, blah, blah, blah. What's the worst pain that you've got right now? Which is the thing that is preventing you from functioning or doing what it is that you do uh, and that you would want help with? And very often, if you can take that one thing and measure it as well, I think that's important in pain. Uh, in fact, in any complementary medicine, measuring the effectiveness of what you're doing is really important. Um, yeah, measure it uh, and work with that one thing because very often when you start working with that one thing other things fall into place you mm -hmm. know if somebody's got a problem with their hips for example um it might be that their movement is not right um and it then has a knock-on effect going up to the shoulders just because of the way that we're connected you know yeah a lot of us, if we're in pain, we find ways to just carry on. Um, does that have an impact on our pain levels? 
and do clients have a role in supporting their own health? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a whole lifestyle thing. It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So, you know, inflammation is a massive, has a massive impact on pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping your levels of inflammation low, looking at what your diet is like, obviously mm-hmm. sugars are highly inflammatory, uh, looking at things that, that um, help calm that down. And there's a whole, whole list of different things that you can eat that will help. Um, whether we move a lot or not, whether we overdo things, you know, sometimes it's about pacing. Mm -hmm. It's about taking things steady, um, but not moving at all will very often make things much worse. Would you mind speaking to me a little bit about pain scales and how they work for therapists looking to support clients? Yeah. And um, well, there are a number of different pain scales. So, um, but probably the simplest one for anybody to use is the visual analog scale because that's a simple line. Anybody can use that, anybody can draw it. Um, it's a 100 millimeter line. And at one end, you have an anchor that says no pain. And at the other end, you have an anchor that says worst pain possible. Your client then comes in and marks vertically. Mm-hmm. on that line where their pain is you know so it's it's about the state of pain usually within the previous 24 hours uh, yeah. how bad has it been they mark on that line where their pain is and then you mark in from the left hand edge to see how many millimeters that is um, and then you can score it so there's a specific scoring mechanism if you like that says you know not for 40 millimeters is uh, basically no pain and it's fine but at the other end of the scale if you had 75 to 100 millimeters obviously it's a severe pain mm-hmm. and if you're taking this measurement every week for your clients um, and then you graph it um, when they're at a stage maybe two to three weeks down the line and they don't feel as if they're getting any better you can actually show them the graph you know maybe they came in and it was 97 millimeters you know which is a severe pain and then perhaps at week three it's dropped down to I don't know maybe 62 millimeters that's clinically relevant Mm -hmm. but because of everything else that's going on around them with their pain they might not recognize that If you can then show them that graph, you can say, look, you know, this is where we were when we started and we've made progress. Yeah. And that's where we want to be. Small steps. Don't try and do too much all at once. Yeah, showing them the positives. I get that. In terms of sharing that more widely, is that something that therapists can do or even should do? Yeah, definitely is something they should do. And um, uh, we were saying uh, before we went live with this that I'm in the middle at the moment of preparing a workshop for understanding and using uh, measurement outcomes in clinical practice for practitioners. I am in the middle of still writing it because obviously there's research going behind it and things in, in terms of patient reported outcome measures are changing all the time. Um, I think it would be a great tool for all practitioners to use within their practice. You know, we we want to be able to work with uh, medical professionals, 
we want to be able to say we can support what you're offering we're not saying it's instead of we're saying we can support what you already do let's work together let's take some measurements and you know it's a great conversation starter too for practitioners because um you know if like the situation just now you get a client that comes in and maybe doesn't think that they're improving you've got something concrete to give them back and say look we've made a change already there are other tools and 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 what i want to do is to be able to offer practitioners an insight into those other tools so that they can start to use them in their own practice and the more people that do it the more evidence we gather it it's also great for auditing your own practice auditing what you do to see whether or not you are having an effect and if you're not having an effect what is it you might be able to change to better serve your client so you know it, it serves a lots of different purposes yeah so hopefully i'll get that up and um, i'm hoping it will be online as an e-learning program uh, by september fingers crossed <laughs> if i can get my head around the technology it will be it will be fine <laughs> it's the technology that i have trouble with but yeah we'll see. Oh, i hope it all goes well it's something that i think we've all had to really grasp during lockdown isn't it it's different it is just a new way of learning isn't it yeah definitely is it something you're going to carry on as a tutor I think so. In, in many ways, I think it will. I mean, some of what I do doesn't lend itself to online learning. Um, the theory elements do, of course. Um, but the, when you're doing something practical, you, you, I don't know if you necessarily need to have that face-to-face -face situation in a classroom environment. Um, as long as you can back it up with good videos and you can do some one-to-one with your students yeah. so that they can show you yeah. what they're doing and you can then take that individual student and guide them properly so mm -hmm. kind of like the blended learning processes mm -hmm. yeah good good means crossed anyway <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to learning um while we're on the conversation, uh, when it comes to your PhD and um, writing your book, that kind of thing, it sounds as though you're always on a path of learning, Carol. And um, how do you keep yourself motivated? And what's yeah. that like? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 maybe I've just got an inquisitive mind, or maybe I'm just nosy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure which one it is. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like to. I think having done the PhD, I am now always looking for the latest research. What, whatever area of medicine it is, um, you know, I, all of my workshops are evidence-based. So I look at the evidence that's out there um, mm -hmm. and then I decide I'll put the workshop together based on that evidence and my own experience, of course. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of personal experience. Uh, I got a lot of personal pain experience as well, um, and and that's part of the reason I did a PhD in pain management. But mostly because at the time, um, a lot of my client base were arthritic, elderly arthritic patients, and um, in some people it helped them, and it lasted for a week. In some people, it was a shorter period of time, but they all experienced some benefit. So from that point of view, 
uh, it was good. Um, the cancer stuff that I teach, again, you know, my own personal experiences of cancer, uh, my postgraduate research at the University of Surrey um, on the late and long-term effects of cancer and its treatments uh, all come, has come together to help me uh, uh, create those kind of workshops. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's good to read. It's good to find out and to question that's the other thing. Don't take everything at face value. I mean, there's loads of research out there, but it's not all good. Mm. You know, the way that they perform some of the research, um, it, it doesn't necessarily tell you what, what you think it does. So you need to understand uh, the research papers in order to glean from that the information that you're trying to gather. Yeah, and it is, must be so interesting to see um, what elements make up a, a really uh, important piece of research and how um, how that's kind of conducted. So yeah, it, it is, um, and and with complementary medicine, we it's very difficult because you know placebo plays a big role. Placebo <laughs> does play a big role. Um, Therapist-patient interaction plays a big role. Um, being in a space where you can offload, yeah. you know, is again, that has an impact, which is why proms are important because you can get what's important to the patient from that. And it's their voice that we need to hear. It's their opinions that we need to hear. You know, we've called it anecdotal evidence for years and years and years. But if we actually think about it, if it's having an impact and the client is benefiting from it, in some ways you, you question yourself, well, does it really matter how it works as long as it works? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the medical profession are coming around to that now. You know, our clients are benefiting from what we do as practitioners. That's it. But they, they still want those that evidence if you like they still want those gold standards yeah and they're, they're difficult to achieve they are difficult to achieve in complementary medicine research because anytime you touch somebody you're creating some kind of biochemical exchange with them earlier you mentioned that you'd had your own experience of um, managing pain would you mind telling me and our listeners a little bit more about that please sure um so uh, okay, you'll probably, if you read my book, you'll, you'll understand more, so, but I'll give you a brief. So uh, as a youngster, um, I was very athletic and um, I used to play football and uh, doing all sorts of different things, trampoline and etc. And I did a layout that somersault on the trampoline one day and I had one foot on the bed and one foot on the side of the trampoline. And the, the knee that was on the side or the leg that was on the side of the trampoline shot uh, up too high and I mm -hmm. tore a cartilage. Mm. Um, so I, I ended up over the years having four, four cartilages removed. Uh, one, two, uh, no, five cartilages. Sorry, four cartilages removed. There are only four. No, sorry. Four operations for removal of cartilage. So I've had two removed in one knee and one removed in the other. 
but yeah. because surgery on one knee didn't go well, they had to form, perform one of the surgeries again. So I've had four surgeries to remove cartilages, three removed. I've got one remaining. Oh my God. Uh, but I also have a, a total knee replacement now in, in the one where uh, they remove the cartilage. That's only because, um, you know, removing cartilages can, uh, my, my consultant told me, is, is a death knell for arthritis. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. You know, if you, if, if you accept these things, then sometimes you can make them happen, can't you? It's almost like that self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but no, I, I have widespread osteoarthritis, um, not just in my knees. So, um, but it, it's a mindset in some ways, you know, if you accept, part, part of pain is, is acceptance. Mm -hmm. So if you accept that you are that person in pain, you then have to say, well, okay, what's, what's the best way for me to manage it? What, what options are there for me? How can I, how I deal with that? Is it popping pills every day? Uh, what kind of quality of life will that give me? Mm -hmm. How long will it help me manage my pain and we know uh, the evidence tells us that taking opioid medications or uh, painkillers on a long-term basis don't help us they don't help us because they override our own um, endogenous opioid system our natural endorphin release um, so that every signal that then comes in feels like a danger signal mm -hmm. and uh, winds up our pain instead um, and we get something called central sensitization. And that just means that your brain gets confused with the signals that are coming in and it can't figure out whether it's a danger that they, that's gonna be painful or whether it's just a touch sensation. You become hypervigilant uh, yeah. to everything that comes in. So you're on high alert all the time. Your body's in stress, you're releasing cortisol and adrenaline, you're in that fight or flight mode increases the inflammatory response, increases pain. So for your 2014 award, did you nominate yourself for that award, Carol? You know, I did. I, I, I didn't know um, that I had to nominate myself. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I, I have won two awards, but yes, uh, with you. One of them was in 2019 for Tutor of the Year as well. Um, but this one for, my, for the Excellence in Research, um, I didn't know that I had to play my own trumpet. And that's not, certainly at that time, it was something that I was very reluctant to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had been through not a great experience at university and I'd lost all, all my confidence. I, I wasn't the person I am today, for sure. And um, it was really scary. And um, anyway, a colleague of mine, um, Sally Kay had won the award and we met um, when she came down uh, to the south to teach and she said you know you you have to apply yourself and I thought well how do I do that so I, I looked on the website and found out how to do it and I started to write about myself and I thought no, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to get it. Um, and when I was told that I had got it, I, I 
think I was so excited and it was a real tremendous maravis to me. It really was a maravis to me. Um, I remember going to the awards ceremony and I was absolutely petrified. I was changing my belief. I don't know why. I, I mean, the support staff uh, and all of the FHT members of staff there were brilliant uh, and very, very um, supportive with, with me. They could see I was... Uh, uh, scared um and very encouraging you know it, it was a tremendous feeling of of being looked after yeah. it really was um and and i enjoyed the day <laughs> it kind of went in a bit of a whiz uh, because <laughs> i was so nervous and, and when i was given the award i probably should have said something you know apart from just thank you um but honestly, the words wouldn't come out of my mouth. I was I was struck dumb temporarily. But yeah, gosh, what an achievement! Yeah, what, what, a, what a lovely pat on the back that was. Even though I, I pushed myself for it. So exactly, yeah. yeah. And then it's strange now, actually, thinking of um, having that walk along the stage and so many people in one room because things are so different now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but hopefully we, we can get to a day where things are like that again. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, you know, it was, it it gave me a personal boost. Mm -hmm. And um, it also gave me the confidence. So I had uh, done my university. Um, I'd gone to do a couple of jobs. Uh, no, I, I finished university, then got cancer. Uh, then got a postdoc and I was lost for a couple of years and I, I although I was trying to get back into complementary medicine um, I couldn't find the right pathway to get into where I wanted to be and uh, so I took a couple of jobs at Southampton University uh, working um, and I started to write my workshops and then when I got the award it made me feel like actually you do know your stuff you just need to have that confidence to get yeah. up and talk about it yeah. and it was having that I think that that gave me that boost it, it was being recognized by my industry if you like to say actually you know this woman has knowledge um let let, let her share it uh, yeah. And I thought, yeah, that was it. And, and it was 2014, actually, that I did my first workshop for supporting clients in pain. And I haven't stopped since. So, yeah. Oh, what a story. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. And then, um, so in 2019, you, you won Tutor of the Year as well. I did. And, mm -hmm. and again, you know, in some ways that was even better because it, was, it meant I was being recognised by my own peer group. You know, the people I was trying to teach were saying, actually, yes, we like what you do. Uh, and to be nominated, um, again, a, a, a great feeling, a, a really, really good feeling uh, to know that I'm doing it the right way. People feel supported. People feel as if they're getting a lot from what I'm sharing with them. And that was good because that also helps boost your confidence um, and helps you uh, appreciate that 
what you did hasn't been wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's been received well yeah. by the students. Um, so yeah, that's, that's nice. That's yeah. very nice. One of um, my questions actually was, I think, about um, clients that have stuck in your mind. And I imagine that there probably are quite a few clients, but also now, as you say, it's students that, um, you know, you've really had an impact on them. Do you have any students that stick in your mind that you would want to talk about or clients? Students or clients? I have a client. um, uh, And again, it was an elderly lady. she had uh, had a fall and uh, she twisted her knee really badly. Um, but she was the type of client who would catastrophize her pain, all right? Um, and she started taking really strong medication, which didn't agree with her. And her, uh, she had problems with her bowel as a result of it and was taken into hospital. She was 82. She was taken into hospital, but she was old school, very stoical type at the same time and didn't (laughs) want to be in hospital. So she um, took herself out of hospital, um, but decided she would stay in bed at home. Uh, And I was making visits to her home and uh, over a period um, that there's some evidence that says if you don't get an elderly person moving um, after a fall, then they are a higher risk of mortality. So it was really, really important that I got her moving, got her up, got her out of bed. Um, And so I got uh, the local physiotherapist team involved in her care so that they could come in and do some mobilization work with her and also make contact with um, occupational therapists on her behalf so that she could learn to stand because um, mm-hmm. she was she was now frightened of falling Understand. Uh, so every every time she stood up she in her head she thought she was going to fall she was a strong woman uh, but she she didn't recognize that in herself yeah um, her family got her a stair lift sorted um, and we managed to get her downstairs and it was over a period i think it took me probably best part of 18 months to get her to a point where um, she was confident enough that she would get herself in her car and drive again and it was graded exercise you know so um, we would start on uh, one week I'd say to her and she had a frame um, I need you to make the effort to get up and just stand with your frame for a while and then she'd take a back seat and then each day I said to her take a few more steps with your frame um, get up from your chair go to the kitchen walk to the other end of the lounge and back again and then eventually she decided she'd manage with two sticks uh, in the house and then she went out um, and her aim was always to drive again to get back in the car and be able to drive again yeah um, and we managed that you know she had that goal and we just target set but yeah. we all I also changed her helped change her mindset so instead of looking at things that would be dangerous to her 
uh, something called DIMS, Dangers in Me, we changed them to uh, SIMS so that they were things that she could turn into a positive. Every negative we turned into a positive yeah. so that we made a, a positive statement about something that she did. Yeah. Um, and one of those things was um, motion is lotion. Just a silly little thing. <laughs> but it's one of those things that says if you move, you will help lubricate your joints, which will help in the longer term. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, she she was absolutely delighted to be able to get back in her car and drive herself self to the local shops and just pick up a few bits and pieces. I bet. Yeah. And it's recognizing the strength in, in her when she probably couldn't see it in herself at the time, keeping um, up that encouragement. It is. Um, and, and in elderly people that are on their own and have nothing else to think about but their pain, they are going to dwell on it. Yeah. You know, that, that's a natural uh, course of events for them because there's nothing else stimulating them. There's nothing distracting them. Mm. So it's about, uh, you know, again, what social groups do they have? Uh, are there local social groups that you can refer them to? Yeah. Um, are they the kind of person that would go to these social groups? That's the other thing. Not yeah. all, all of them will. But if you've got um, if you've got that support structure in, in place yourself and you know that you're able to signpost these people to where they need to go, it can be very helpful. Mm. Um, you know, don't don't and don't I think the other thing is, you know, sometimes we try to fix people too soon. And part of being fixed is your participation in it. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a case of handing over. It's more a case of working together for the greater good. Uh, and I think if we can do that. It's a partnership. Partnership. And how long did it take with your client? 18 months. Yeah. I mean, she was up. She was up in uh, four months. Mm -hmm. Um but she was having mobilization work, um, passive physio um, were, were coming in and I was doing reflexology and also doing some body work with her. I'm trained in uh, various body work techniques as well. Um, so yeah, it, it was a combination of lots of different things, uh, yeah. not just me, um, but yeah, we got her there in the end and you know, it was a slow process, but she did do it. Do you have any advice for therapists thinking of nominating themselves? And if so, what would that be? Oh my gosh, yeah. First of all, do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> don't ever think, don't think that it can't be you. Yeah. Why can't it be you? You're as good as anybody else. You know, yeah. if you think you can, if you think you can, you're halfway there. You know, it's I think everybody has potential to be the person they want to be. You have to want it. You have to want it. And, you know, if you don't nominate, if you don't shout up about yourself, how on earth are people going to know about you? You know, you, you have to step up. You have to step into the limelight sometimes. You, you sometimes have to step out of your comfort zone to be the person you're meant to be. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to step forward and say, I'm good at this. You should listen to me. You should hear my voice. You should know about me. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you nominate yourself, 
that's a great way for people to know about you. Even if, you know, just entering, just entering yeah. is um, one of those things where uh, the act of having written about yourself or perhaps somebody writing about you can be very um, motivating. Yeah. It, it can just, you know, don't, don't think, will I win or won't I win? Think I've entered and mm -hmm. I've done the best I can and I've, I've stepped outside my comfort zone to tell people about myself and what I do. And that's a start. Yeah. And it's that little click of realising how far you've probably come already and then yeah. what is in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you, when you have to reflect back on what you've done, it's then that you realise how far you've come. Yeah. You know, some, we're in a fast-paced life, um, moving forward all the time, trying, trying to be the next best this, that and the other. And, and you know, when you look at other people up, up there, you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, you know, they're miles ahead of me. But it's all relative. You know, where you came from and where you are now is a huge step, a huge process that you've been through give yourself a back, pat on the back for yeah. actually being where you are today well thank you so much for joining me on today's episode carol i'm in total awe of the work you're doing to improve recognition within the industry and i can see the huge impact that recording improvements can have on both clients and therapists as mentioned earlier in this conversation carol was awarded an fht excellence in practice award in 2014 and FHT Tutor of the Year in 2019. Visit fht.org.uk/blog-carol-s to read more about Carol and why she won these awards. For easy clicking, I'll also include a link in the bio of this episode. This is sadly our fourth and final episode of the series. Although it has been short and sweet, I hope you'll agree that the passion and determination that has been shown through these stories is absolutely astounding. Thank you for listening today. I hope to see you soon.